0: children to receive it and to hear it, and while you and I turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, book of Hebrews chapter 12, it's not the usual scripture you would pull up for Palm Sunday, I'm already focusing on, on the crucifixion and, and Passover and uh, all that combined into one. Amen. Because Passover is Easter for us. Hallelujah. And uh, Jesus is that sacrificed lamb that the Jewish nation celebrated for 1,500 years when they were delivered from Egypt. But Jesus is that sacrificed lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He is that sacrificed lamb. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit today. But a specific aspect of that. And I'm taking my text from the book of Hebrews. A very appropriate text. Or, and a book since it is addressed to Hebrew Jewish Christians. And Paul's explaining some things to them. I believe it was Paul who wrote it. Although they're not certain. It certainly might conviction that it was him. Nevertheless, uh, in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, I want to read you some segments of this book that uh, tries to use, of course, the Old Testament plan of religious worship and draws parallels with that of Jesus Christ and the priesthood and the blood sacrifices and so on. And then when he gets to explaining that in chapter 12, he gets to the cross and crucifixion. And he says to us as Christians and to the Hebrew Christians back in his day, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, such hostility of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied. And faint in your minds. Jesus lived through some time of hostility and rejection and rebuke and humiliation and beating and obviously crucifixion and death and burial and then of course the resurrection. These scriptures attempt to encourage you and I in our times of struggle and tribulation and rejection, and persecution, to look unto Jesus as our guide. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We worship and praise you and magnify you. Let it go forth to each and every heart and every mind, and let it accomplish the purpose which you will. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let the church say, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And I want to draw your attention to verse 2 again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And this segment is what really captivated my attention in this past week, despising the shame, despising the shame. And I want to talk to you about that today. I mean, there's two kinds of shame that I will touch on, not just Uh, The shame that comes with uh, persecution and and false accusations as even Jesus was accused with blasphemy and so on. Uh, But also the shame of sin. The shame that accompanies sin. Now let me get back to the context of my text here in chapter 12. Uh, In the mind's eye of the author, uh, first of all, we're pictured with uh, the previous champion's of faith in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Eighteen different individuals are mentioned, but uh, the author here mentions a great cloud of witnesses. And these great cloud of witnesses are pictured as spectators from the heavens cheering us on to overcome the present discouragement maybe and, uh, and the disappointments and setbacks as in some sports competition. I want you to know that the Bible tells us that there is a cloud of witnesses that are watching us from heaven above. Amen. A great cloud. In fact, this great cloud refers to not just these 18, but it's a great group of people. It's a figure of a speech to indicate a very large group of people. And can I tell you this morning as we go through this 21st century, As we are in the last days before Jesus comes, as we are about to go through some times of tribulation, some times of persecution, some kinds of rejection and ridicule and criticism, all of those things, we have a cloud of witnesses who have gone through this themselves many whom have sacrificed their lives and have gone through the very same things that you and I are about to go through or perhaps now even are going through. And I can picture right from the beginning, Abel, as it's mentioned in chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, Abel and Enoch. And we can picture in there, Noah is up there. We can picture Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We can picture King David. We can picture the prophets up there, Isaiah, Who was sawn in half because of his faith and his prophecies, as great as he was. John the Baptist up there. Hallelujah. Praise God. And all these great cloud of witnesses uh, that are looking down on us right now and watching us from the heavenlies to encourage us uh, to keep on. Keep on keeping on. Hold on no matter what comes your way. Don't give up your faith. Keep on being a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're lied on, cheated, spit upon. If you're ridiculed or criticized, amen. The others gone before us had to endure the very same things. Can you say praise the Lord? Lord. That's why the scripture says uh, looking unto Jesus. Look to him because he came to accomplish a very difficult task. And that was to save the world. His mission amen, was to seek and to save that which was lost. His mission was to give his life as a ransom for many. And he gave us the great commission to go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. That is a great and difficult task. And it does not come without sacrifice. It does not come without ridicule and danger. It does not come without imprisonment sometimes it does not come with its own set of circumstances that can be harmful to us but the Bible encourages us to look to Jesus because Jesus is our example and what he did to accomplish his mission his mission was difficult too and it cost him his life we are asked to take up our cross and follow after him and accomplish Our mission, which is his mission, really extended. And that is to preach the gospel to every creature. He died so we can preach that message. It's not an easy task, but we can do it. Look unto Jesus. He had a mission to fulfill, to save the world. Amen. And by sacrificing his life on the cross of Calvary. Amen. That you and I may obtain salvation in him. He finished his task. And so we must pick up our cross and follow him. So that we can finish ours. Praise God. Now I can tell you right now. That Jesus did not enjoy. His suffering on the cross. Bible says. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. That joy has nothing to do. With with undergoing the pain of the scourgings. And uh, and all the pain that he endured. uh, And and the, the nails going through his hands. And his feet. Jesus did not. Regard the cross itself as joy. But he could look past the cross. He could look past the horror. He could look past the pain. And enjoy the joy that resulted in it. Hallelujah. He could enjoy the joy that's beyond the cross. Beyond that suffering. And that same kind of mentality. Is something that has to be present in you and I. In order to enable us to endure Unto the end, until Jesus comes. Jesus was able to endure the cross because he understood the good that would come out of it. The good of a rescued and redeemed people, honoring God throughout eternity. Oh, can you say, Praise the Lord? So Jesus did not enjoy the cross, but he embraced the joy that was to come. Now, Jesus did not enjoy the cross, but he also despised the shame that came with the cross. There was shame that was associated with the cross. For well, the most prominent aspect of the torture of the cross was its extreme shaming. Jesus not, did not welcome that shame. He despised it, yet he endured all the way through it to victory. Jesus indeed bore a shameful accusation of blasphemy. He endured a shameful beating with the cat of nine tails and He was slapped by the hand of the Roman soldiers and spit upon He was shamefully robed in a purple robe of royalty. He was shamefully crowned with a crown of thorns. He was shameful, mocking, even as he prayed on the cross. He was praying on the cross, the seven things he said on the cross. And even during those times, uh, people were mocking him. Uh, Some of the priests coming up. Others he could save, yet he cannot... Save himself. If you are the Messiah, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. All these mockings and all these lies. And many of us in these last days especially must also learn to embrace our cross. And despise the shame that comes with our cross as we follow after Jesus. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Amen? There's shame that will come as you are being accused as being a believer and being a hate monger. And you're the ones responsible for all the problems of the world when we are really the answer to their problems uh, in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, hallelujah. Praise God. And interestingly, uh, I this, said this is the biggest stumbling block to many Christians. It's this embarrassment and shame. They don't want to testify. They don't want to witness. They don't want to talk about Jesus because of the embarrassment, because of the shame that comes with it. But we're going to have to press through that. We're going to have to push our way through. Amen? See, we will do just about everything for Jesus except to suffer embarrassment or shame. One commentator called Christians cowards who would not bear the shame that the world comes against them with. I pray that that's not us. We need to get tough in our faith because he was tough for us on the cross. Amen. And we need to bear our cross as well. But why did Jesus allow himself to be shamed and humiliated like that? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Why did he allow himself to be so, so hated and so so mistreated. And I would submit to you today, it's all because uh, it's part of the overall redemptive plan. Shame is a part of our sin. The first time we encounter is in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. And the Bible says plainly that the glory of God lifted and they saw themselves naked. Genesis 3, 7 and 10 says it this way, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And he said, verse 10, I heard thy voice in a garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. First time fear is mentioned, and the first time shame comes into the picture. They wanted to hide themselves because of their sin. Shame is associated with sin. Shame is that feeling or that even fact, because you can have feeling without fact, but it's both. It's the feeling and the fact of public exposure. It's it's a physical sense of disgrace. It's, It's defilement. It's dishonor and humiliation and embarrassment. I can tell you, I, I, I know what it's like. I think you know what it's like to feel shame for your own sins. But but the shame of nakedness, amen. Some people aren't that very shameful, amen. They like to take their clothes off and parade their nudity as much as they can. I don't commend that and neither does the Bible because I believe in and preach modesty. But I can tell you when I had my cardiac catheterization at the VA hospital and they had to put that 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 needle and that thing down through my groin and my thigh i was completely stripped naked and you're hauled into that room with all those people you had about four or five men you had about three or four women nurses and you are publicly exposed totally naked you don't think you feel embarrassed huh would you wouldn't you be Praise God. I wouldn't want you to go through something like that. But if you want to feel what shame and embarrassment is, you may have to go through one of those tests. I hope you don't. But that's that's part of it. That's something that we should be aware of. And something that we should, in fact, uh, attach to sin in our own lives. And remember that when we feel that shame, it could be that we're doing something wrong, where something is not right between God and us. When Aaron led Israel, you know, the first high priest, Moses' brother. When Aaron led Israel to worship the golden calf that did so naked to their great shame, Exodus 32 tells us. Shame is something that covers people like a garment or covers their face. Job 8.22 says, they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame. Psalm 35:26 says let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me Psalm 44:15 my confusion is continually before me and the shame of my face hath covered me the psalmist confessing his sin and the shame that he feels as a result of what he did. Psalm 83, 16, to pray against the enemies of the Lord. It says, fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. I'll talk about that minute in a minute. The grace of shame. The motivation, hallelujah, that should motivate us to seek God. But shame is the resulting spoiled reputation. It's a despised status. It's a, a blot on your name and your record. It's it's a filth. It's it's a mark of folly and, and it's something that, that is impossible to remove. And I, I, I dare not get into social media. One of the things uh it's called the shaming storm. There's several articles out on that. It's it's how that uh, that that once somebody gets after your reputation online Uh, it's not like the old days where uh, if you ruin your reputation, you just move to another town or another state and and you start all over again. You can't do that in the 21st century because your name and your reputation and the the false accusations go with you no matter where you go, even to the other side of the world. And is it fair? How can someone start all over again when they were shamed? Now, what if they've been forgiven and start all over again? How do they start all over when that thing keeps coming back? Let me just say, be careful what you post on the Internet. Yeah. I know we all know that, but I'm going to remind you. We need to remind our children to make sure that they're careful in what they say, what they do. So there was Aaron. I mean, And, and you see the shame that, that their idolatry brought them to, nakedness and worshiping false God and idol. Think about Joseph and Mary. Joseph not wanting to put Mary to open shame and to make her, as the scripture says, a public spectacle, supposing that she had sinned and became pregnant with Jesus and in an immoral way. Remember, we talked about that in times past, at Christmas time. Amen. And, uh, and he, he contemplated that those, those thoughts were going through his mind, but he did not want her to be shamed like that. A shame is 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 that private and and that's the public humiliation of being wrong. It's the removal of your respect and your glory. First Corinthians eleven six is I'm, I'm segueing right into that. Hallelujah. Fifth or fourth, the woman be woman be not covered. Let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. In other words, long, uncut hair is her glory. Amen. If she's uncovered, if her hair is short, amen, she's uncovered. It is shameful. Let it grow out uncut so she will be covered. And the Bible is very specific in verse 15 that her hair has been given her for her glory. I'm talking about the word of God. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to people Who say that they believe the word of God. I'm talking to people who say they're yielded to God and the word of God. Yet we're told to look unto Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. Despising the shame. And sat down at the right hand of God. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. That we are to remain committed and confident to the end. Just like he did. And what he was. There's interesting scripture in the next chapter. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 onward. uh, And we're told that uh, we are to establish our hearts with grace. With thanksgiving and with gratitude. And with the help of God. Going to Jesus outside the gate. Bearing the reproach. I'm talking about Bearing the reproach and the shame that goes with following after Jesus. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to the Hebrew Christians who felt the heat. Who felt that reproach and felt that rejection and and, and that ridicule for being Christians instead of continuing to follow with the Old Testament Mosaic law. And here in chapter 13 verse 10 he says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Verse 11, for the bodies of those beasts, now get this, the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Sister Kayla, could you put that uh, picture up on the, on the board for me? I asked her to get a, a, a picture of uh, the tabernacle, the wilderness up there. Amen. Ready whenever you are. Hallelujah. And uh, can you put it up there? It's up. I'm looking at the back wall. No wonder, Hallelujah! I'm looking at, the, looking at the wrong projector. Praise God! But you know, under the Old Testament system, as you know, uh, oh, wrong one. Oh, this won't this won't shine. Hallelujah! The diamond won't shine. This one it, it's on there, but the screen is so bright that it won't it won't reflect on it. Hallelujah! Isn't that something? Well, I need a pointer. Do they have a pointer? Thank you. Onward. As you know, when the priest... Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Thank you, Brother Brian. <laughs> when people brought us animal sacrifice through here, now let's t- take about, talk about the, the day of atonement. And I'll briefly shorten the story. You know, the unblemished lamb was to be killed. And it's killed here at the altar, the brazen altar. Now, the, the temple that Solomon built was built on this very same plan. This was the outer court. And this was the tabernacle or what was called in the New Testament temple time, New Testament, Old Testament Solomon temple time is, as the sanctuary. This is also a sanctuary, but it was not a, a constructive building of stone. It was animal skins and so on, okay? Uh, and then wood covered with, uh, with gold and so on. But when they brought the lamb, okay, they, they cut its throat. It was... It was Bled out, and the blood was collected, and then the animal was cut up, put onto that altar, and burned up. All right? It was without the sanctuary. So the sacrifice lamb, a symbolic representation of Jesus, the lamb who takes over the sin of the world, the lamb was killed outside of the sanctuary, outside the gate, and this is referred to as the gate. And in Solomon's temple, it was big, huge. Gates, okay? Physical gates. So this is what this writer in Hebrews 13 is talking about. That the animal, the body, was consumed right here at the altar. But the high priest took that blood that was collected and went in, past the uh, brazen labor, into the sanctuary, into the holiest holies once a year. And he took that blood and sprinkled it on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the mercy seat. In fact, it's the very first thing that God told Israel to build is the mercy seat. He said, I will commune with you from there. He said that to Moses, Exodus 25. Amen. So there's the Ark of the Covenant and the top lid is referred to as the mercy seat. The animal is killed here and the blood shed out here, outside the gates. And remember this, Hebrews 8 tells us that the tabernacle, the pattern that was given to Moses was a physical representation of the heavenlies. It was an example of what exists in heaven. There is a heavenly temple. Uh, some of this we see in, uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, the golden candlesticks, the one that John saw also, the heavenlies. Okay? So, first, Paul is talking to the Hebrew Christians, referring to this Old Testament animal sacrifice and a procedure that the priests followed, killing the lamb outside the gates of the sanctuary. His blood shed, but the body burned and mutilated. And this is what he's talking about. Now follow along once again as I read this scripture. It says, we have an altar whereof there's no... Okay, verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts, those animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Uh, without the gate, excuse me, suffered, no, excuse me, without the camp. Verse 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Hallelujah. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, what he's saying in reference to Jesus now, because he was the sacrifice lamb. Can you put that picture back up, Kayla? Amen. Because he was the sacrifice lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. He also was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. He was sacrificed to, hallelujah, shedding his own blood outside of the sanctuary. Not the temple of Herod that was in, on the temple mount. Don't think about that. Paul here is referring to. To the heavenly temple. The heavenly sanctuary. And he said he died outside of the gate. What is outside of the gate? It's outside of heaven's sanctuary. And heaven's court. He sacrificed his life down here on Calvary. He shed his blood there. Amen. And then when he rose again the third day. He as the high priest and profession of our faith. Went and took his blood. And sanctified the heavenly sanctuary. Why? Because it was polluted. When when Satan rebelled against him. You see. Hallelujah. Now when I say he took his blood and sanctified it. It wasn't the physical blood that he took with him. But what happens on earth is a symbolic representation of what happens in the spirit. Jesus ascended indeed. And he went up into the heavenly sanctuary. And he sanctified the holiest of holies there. Amen. How did he do it? He do it. He did it by his name. Because remission of sins is in his name. He didn't scoop any blood of his that he shed on, on Calvary. Oh, no, no, no. That power of that blood is invested in a name. And that's tied all in with Acts 2.38 of why we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And so using these two analogies, the example of the high priest in the Old Testament and also using the example of Jesus, how that he on this earth sacrificed his life, not in heaven. He didn't sacrifice his life in heaven in that temple for our sins. No, he sacrificed his life right here outside the gate. And so the Bible is exhorting us to do the same thing, to remember, hallelujah, we are part of a heavenly sanctuary. But we are to sacrifice and be a living sacrifice on the altar down here outside the gate of that sanctuary. Praise the name of the Lord. But let us look unto Jesus and just as he sacrificed his life and ascended into heaven, our term is coming. Our time is coming. When we put our life on the altar of sacrifice and we do the will of God like Jesus did, amen, doing his will, aren't we supposed to do just that? Amen. Praying for his will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. That includes his will to be done in us. Praise the name of the Lord. We're praying that to be done. We shall end up in the same place he is. Because we have followed his will. Can you clap your hands and the Lord and say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So by this the author is encouraging us including the Jewish Christian of his day. To do the same as Jesus did. Let us suffer down here on earth as a living sacrifice. Enduring the shame and the humiliation and the rejection and the ridicule and criticism outside the gate of that heavenly sanctuary and bear the same kind of reproach that he did. But in the end, we also enter heaven and sit with him in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Listen, whatever you're going through down here is worth it. Whatever we got to yet go through, it's going to be worth it all. Amen. Don't give up the ship, don't give up the hope. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now there's a grace that comes with shame. We can't forget that the shame that Jesus endured on the cross was for dealing with the shame that you and I feel because of sin. The nakedness, the pain, the humiliation. It was what you and I would feel If we stood before God in judgment and if we had not dealt with our own sin in our lives and not been covered in the precious blood of the Lamb. There's still one story Jesus told about the kingdom, the man who entered into the wedding and had no garment. He doesn't have that garment of righteousness that comes with being baptized in Jesus' name. And so, uh, because of sin, we feel shame. And if we stood before God in judgment, if we had not been born again, then we would suffer extreme humiliation. Now, in the Garden of Eden, God shed the blood of animals to make the coats of skins for Adam and Eve to cover their shame and their nakedness. We know that. But it was the same in the Old Testament, the killing of the animals and incorporating that in the worship system of the Jews, along with uh, the fullness of time, then, when Jesus came, then he came in the flesh to lay all of our sins and our shame on himself, on the physical self, that body that he occupied. See, make no mistake about it. What you saw on Calvary, what you think you see in your mind's eye on Calvary, was nothing more than an open display of shame for sin. It was not just the effects of sin, it was also the shame that comes along with sin. It's the kind of shame that Adam and Eve felt when they first sinned against God. And Jesus came to cover not only our sins, but cover the shame that comes along with it. Thank be to God. Shame can be good because it can drive us to deal with our sin. Shame can teach us to hate sin and to stay away from sin can be a good thing. Hallelujah. And as we look at a fallen world here that we live in today, they have rebellious sinners who refuse to repent of their sin. So what do they do? They got to do something with their shame. Well, they do. What do they do? Well, they embrace it. And then they boast about it. They got the gall to boast about it. They call evil good and good evil, and they glory in their shame, as the Bible says. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They rejoice in their shame. They're shameless and proud of their shame. Proverbs 2, 13 and 14, who lead the paths of of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the forwardness of the wicked. Jude 13, raging waves of the sea foaming out of their shame, their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 1 Peter 4, 3 and 5 makes a reference to us as Christians who suffer shame. And the ridicule when we have repented to have converted to Christ and then we're trying to avoid all the sins of the past that we're a part of. And he says this, you have had enough in the past, I'm, running a new, I'm reading a new living translation, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do and they say evil things about you. They say evil things about you because you don't join in their parties and do the things that you used to do with them. Says when you no longer join them the, the King James says when you no longer run with them how many know what I'm talking about? I'm so glad I'm not running with the old crowd. I don't want those kind of friends. You got those kind of friends, you need to, need to get a new set of friends. Hallelujah. You need to get some church friends. Praise God. Well, nobody's invited me. Well, why don't you invite somebody? Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you invite somebody to your place? or so you invite them out to McDonald's or something. Have a Coke or a shake. Mmm, Hallelujah. Praise God. It's dinner time. But see, the logical end game for these people is of of refusing this this message of true shame. I mean, true shame. For their sin is just a complete reversal or an, an inversion of what is good for evil. They call good, I mean, good evil and evil good to the point that you are evil for not joining them in their evil. Amen. And then they're mad because you're not rejoicing in evil with them. It's not enough for them to tolerate it. Oh no, I want you to join me. I want you to celebrate it. I want to, you to enjoy it. I want you to applaud it. I want you to, come on, get with it. So the goal of the enemy is to make you and I feel ashamed. Because we don't do it. Hallelujah. What do you think this world's trying to do to us? It's trying to fit us into this mold by trying to make us feel ashamed for what we believe in. Make us feel ashamed for believing in Christ. Make us feel ashamed for, for, for living a holy life. But we have to remember that Jesus confronted their sin and he was shamed also. And we will also be shamed. John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, how so? We've been born again. Hallelujah. But we're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the, word, the world hates you. Don't fool yourself. The world doesn't love you. It hates you. 1 John 3 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Don't be surprised. You know, it's interesting. In most of the world you could feel this kind of hate, but in America it wasn't something to be, because you know, we we are a Judeo-Christian uh foundations-built nation. And and, and there were many different kind there were many different kinds of Christians, Catholic, Baptist, Methodists, and so on on down the line, and Jewish people obviously. And now we have so many different people, and we got to the place where where we have tipped the balance towards atheism or agnosticism and, and away from Christianity. And now we're not, really, we're not really even tolerated. We're an object of ridicule and, and of, 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 of beratedness. And, uh, and, 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 and we're feeling it now in America, and, and we have a problem with this shaming. We're not used to it. Because before we had this kind of a healthy respect for other Christian groups. Leave me alone, I'll leave you alone kind of thing. You know, thank goodness you believe in God, you read your Bible. I read my Bible too. There was was a tolerance there because of our constitution. But the worldly people don't have that kind of tolerance. Because they don't believe in a constitution because they don't believe in rules. They don't even believe what is right and wrong. And so they don't tolerate us because we're really a burden on their conscience. But you know, this is what Peter and John faced when they were beaten and rebuked. In Acts 5.41, the Bible says this, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. It wasn't like this in the days of old in America, but it's, it's now different. Yeah, I so. And we're not used to that. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do, I believe, in, in this particular Easter season is to somehow toughen up our skin so that we don't get so easily hurt and offended and shamed and turn up, you know, and just, well, if that's what it takes, I'm not going to be a Christian. All right. All right, this isn't worth it. Jesus could have said that on the cross. Well, he never did that. This isn't worth it. Oh, no, no, no. He looked beyond the present. He looked beyond the suffering of the cross. and He looked at the end result. And that's what you and I have to do. No matter how much shame and embarrassment you endure, but the question is, are you willing to endure it? And that can only be answered by you. But these folks who glory in their shame and rejoice in their shame, They're proud of it. God help them. And again, Peter and John faced it, and we all will face it before we leave this earth. But what's our takeaway? And I'm coming to a conclusion here. The first takeaway is that we have an invitation to have our shame covered by Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't be embarrassed. By your sin. Well, you should be. (laughs) But understand that Christ wants to cover your sin and shame. He came to forgive you and me. And not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us and to cover our sin and our shame. Because He knows what that shame is like. See, this is why when He he was on that cross, He despised it. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to feel this i don't want to be humiliated in his flesh everything in him was was revolting yet yieldedly he settled it in gethsemane that's why he 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 sweat those beads of blood mixed with sweat because it was so hard to get the victory in prayer you know The way to get our victory against shame and this hostility from the world is prayer. Get filled up with the power of God and understand who you are and what your mission is. Don't ever forget your identity and don't ever forget what God put you on this earth for. It was to be a witness for him, a living witness for him. Never mind the shame. He was shamefully despised and and treated. We will be too. Expect it. Expect it. Hallelujah. Make it strong in the Holy Ghost. That's what the disciples did. Hallelujah. Praise God. Shame. It's something that, you know, sometimes we get embarrassed by some of the things that God wants to do with you. In John chapter 13, in fact, we're going to do foot washing and communion tonight. When Jesus instituted that in John chapter 13 and he calls his apostles together and, and he's going to wash their feet. And Peter says, uh-uh, he was so embarrassed that Jesus, the master, the Lord, the Christ is going to stoop down and wash his feet. He was embarrassed. Amen. But well, you know what Jesus said? Peter, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. Whoa, whoa. You got that revelation, it's okay, Lord, just give me a bath. Just my head, my hands, my feet, just give me a bath. All right, that's what it takes. Hallelujah. I'll take it. But at first, it was that embarrassment, that shame. And you know, and tonight when we come together at 6 o'clock and bring your own towel, make sure you bring your own towel, turn to your neighbor and tell them, bring your own towel. Come on, do it again. Take the bath. Yeah. Hallelujah. Because you're going to use a towel to wipe, amen, either their feet or your feet, or whatever. You exchange towels. Hallelujah. But, but don't be embarrassed in washing each other's feet. You know, in, in, in repentance, we identify with Jesus' death. In water baptism, with his burial, receiving the Holy Ghost, the resurrection, and power. And we wash one another's feet. We identify with his humility. Because if God, the master created the universe in flesh, stooped down to wash his disciples' feet, the master washed the feet of the disciples, and how much more should we wash one another's feet? And when that kind of a ceremony, as I mentioned, I'll repeat it again tonight. It's where we're all stations and all classes, all social classes disappear. There's, there's no cultural barriers here. There's no language barriers. We are here simply as human beings, exercising humility by washing the feet of my brother, brother for brother, and sister for sister. There's a separation, of course. Women will wash women's feet and the men will wash the feet of the men. Embarrassment and shame. There's sometimes there's this embarrassment that comes in following Jesus and doing the things that he wants us to do. Jesus has white robes of righteousness for all of those who come to him. But you've got to come. Whomsoever will, let him come. Amen. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thy self. That thy nakedness do not appear. See, without the born-again experience, without the robe of righteousness and baptism in Jesus' name, you are naked before God because of your sin and because of your shame. But he, in, he died on the cross to give us the covering. It's his blood. Can you say praise the, Lord? praise the Lord? So this invitation is to all. It's to all. It's not just for some sins. It's for all sins. Filthy sins. Sins that you may think cannot be covered. Sins that are associated with great shame. Like sexual sins. Like abortion. With some even, even having to deal with divorce. Even if you're an innocent party. It, there's this, this, this sense of shame that may be attached and associated with it. And it weighs you down. The shame of having wavered children. They're not serving God. They used to and they're not, they're not walking after God now. The shame of being fired from your job. But the, the list is endless. But, but he, even, he even covers things that are not necessarily our fault. Not being married. Not having children. Not accomplishing the great things you thought or you said that you would do. There's kinds of this, this embarrassment and shame that sometimes comes along with it. And the devil jumps on that and tries to hit you over the head with it. I'm it to your attention. Again, there's, there's different kinds of shame that we have to deal with. One from our sin and other things. You know, it's bearing reproach for Christ. But whatever it is, we need to take it to Jesus because he's waiting outside the camp. He's waiting outside the camp. So the first takeaway is we've got an invitation to come and have our sins covered and to cover our shame. And the second is that we have to remember that when Jesus forgives and he covers, he forgets and you become blameless before God. You're blameless before God. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, that means you walk in truth. And you use the truth of God, the light of God to illuminate your heart. And you look at it as God sees you. And when he finds, his light shines on an area in your heart and your life that needs correction or confession and change, that you do it. So it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if you suffer shame for living for Jesus, then... Don't let that stop you from serving Jesus. Get up and get going. Hallelujah. Don't give up. Praise God. Even if you have messed up and there was sin in your life, and now the devil's keeping you from trying to do something for God because you feel so guilty, so bad, and the devil keeps shaming you, let me remind you about the story of King David. And he writes in Psalms 51. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David said that after he was confronted with the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He committed a sexual sin. He tried to cover it up, but when confronted, he confessed. The truth came to him, and the light shined on his life, and he confessed it. He didn't try to cover it up when he was confronted with it, but he was ashamed. And God forgave him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If say, shame is stopping you, cover it up with the blood of Jesus Christ. Get a genuine repentance. That's why 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have all sin covered. The most filthy the most incredible sins you think cannot be forgiven or removed, God can remove it from you today. Stand with me if you will. God does not want his people to be tainted and wore down by shame. It's interesting we read from Joel chapter 2 very often and we think about God pouring out a spirit upon all flesh and we should. But prior to that promise, he talks about repentance, he talks about prayer and fastings. And in verse 26 of chapter 2 says, And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. That hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And verse 27 goes on. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God. And none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Hallelujah. And the very next verse says. When you deal with the shame." And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out of my spirit. Praise the name of the Lord. Listen, if you've got a problem praying through in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, you may have to deal with some shame, have to deal with some sin in your life, but understand that God is a merciful God. He came in the flesh and died for you and I, so he could take his shed blood and apply it to your soul and the mind. Give you a clean conscience. uh, Cover your sins. Cover your shame. So you don't have to be ashamed because of sin anymore. Because one thing to be ashamed in front of people for bearing his reproach. and It's another thing to stand before God in shame because you haven't dealt with your sin. God wants you and I to deal with our our sin. And if you feel condemned and ashamed. You can deal with it today. I asked Andrew to sing this old song. And the shame that this song is referring to is the shame of bearing the reproach for Christ. Cease to season and beyond. As we head deeper into 2023. As we bear our own cross. As we face the unknown. And as we face a hostile world. An increasingly hostile world. Let us ever keep the cross of Calvary before us. And I think this song says it well. It's an old song.